1: Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF public media show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sessingham, host of Florida Matters. You can hear Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. or Streaming on WUSFnews.org. This week on Florida Matters, after a spate of pedestrian deaths around the Tampa Bay area, we're talking about what, if anything, can be done to make our streets safer. Coming up, a conversation with Christine Acosta, Executive Director of Walk by Tampa, Beth Alden, Director of Hillsborough's Metropolitan Planning Organization, Whit Blanton, Executive Director of Forward Pinellas, and Florida Matters producer Stephanie Colombini. Support for Florida Matters More comes from the National Foundation for Transplants. Right now, hundreds of Tampa residents need an organ transplant they can't afford. You can join the National Foundation for Transplants Operation Second Chance at Transplants.org to learn how to help give someone a second chance at life. Well, thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I want to ask Wit Blanton and Beth Alden, what's it like to be you? Um, you know, in an area <laughs> where pretty much everybody complains about the traffic and their commute and how much they hate their commute, and bikers and walkers complain about roadway design, and these national studies keep coming out saying that Tampa Bay is deadly for pedestrian and bikers. You are in metropolitan planning organizations, so. What do you say at the typical cocktail party to people? Wit.
0: Yeah, it's funny how many people come up to me and say, I would never want your job because we have to balance a lot of competing interests and everybody is a transportation or traffic expert. If you drive, walk, bicycle, ride the bus, oh, you yeah. know it. But I love this job. It's a fun job. Our agency actually is in charge of countywide land use and transportation planning, so we have a unique role to play. The fun part of the job is really trying to identify where we can make a difference. And where we can find uh, a willing public, a willing community that seems eager to embrace change and push for change, and then we find the money to make that happen. And that's really our job. We're brokers of good transportation decision-making, and that takes a lot of education. It takes a lot of analysis and research. But when you get that light going on and you get the aha moment from an elected official or from a business uh, or somebody in the community, it really makes it worthwhile.
1: You're seeing a lot of change in mindset lately, too. So Beth, what about you? Any problems in your job <laughs> <laughs> complainers? <laughs> How much time do we have? Okay.
2: No, uh, what, I mean, wit's points were very, very well said. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that is um, uh, important for us in, 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 in trying to keep moving forward is when we're aware, looking at the data of, of the problems that are out there, can we find somebody in the community who is interested in working on that problem and and being our partner?
1: I mean, elected officials,
2: anybody, um, and and that's that's why I was so fabulous when um, when Walk Bike Tampa came forward a couple of years ago and said um, we're very very concerned um, about pedestrian safety. Now we've we've seen the numbers for years and years and years, but if you don't have Sympathetic public. If you don't have advocates saying we need change, it's very very hard to convince people to make changes in their community.
1: Christina Acosta, bicyclists can be very very passionate, <laughs> right?
3: Yes, absolutely. And remember, there's a there's a, like all commuter all commuter populations. There's a big spectrum of who bicyclists are. We know that we have a a huge population of recreational and athletic cyclists uh, in the Tampa Bay area. The St. Pete Bicycle Club, I think, is the largest and longest established uh, bike club in the state. But we also, um, Witt, Blanton, and Beth Alden, and I are very uh, keen on making provisions so that people can use the bicycle as a viable mode of transportation. Uh, Witt mentioned the Penelope this trail the city of Tampa is doing a, a green spine a protected cycle track and Hillsborough County is doing more trails so there's a lot of focus and desire to provide the ability for people to ride their bikes this would be the moms with the trailers on the back um, you've but got
1: your work cut out with, for you though because yeah. when these studies keep coming out that are so well publicized by people like me mm-hmm. um, that it's one of the deadliest places to be a biker or a walker do you want to get on your bike and go to work that way down Fowler Avenue. I mean, it's tough it's a tough sell. It
3: is tough and you mentioned Fowler specifically, but I will tell you there are lots of indicators that pe- there is a tremendous desire for walking and biking in our community. I'll give you some examples. I was involved in something called the Tampa Bike Valet. So this is where you would, similar to coat check, you would check your bike in at an event. And so recently we had a really great multimodal push by Mayor Bob Buckhorn when he opened the Julian B. Lane Park. So we had the Bike Valet set up there and it sold out. So this was a space for hundreds of bicyclists and mostly families and non-athletes just they're not out for a ride necessarily. They're going to a park opening. They're going to a great concert, a great event. They're gonna take advantage of the Riverwalk, which is another multi-use trail that is extremely successful in the city of Tampa. So we see all over the community a great desire. Once we have our thoughtfully connected grid of protected bicycle space, it's really going to take off.
1: What do you think, Stephanie? I know you're a driver. Uh, do you also, do you ever ride a bike? I don't bike. I'm a walker. <laughs> like <laughs> anytime
4: I can avoid being in my car is the best. I come from New York, um, so mm-hmm. I was blessed with trains and being able to walk to everything. Um, so I didn't even own a car until I moved down here. So when I'm in it, I definitely want to go fast and get from point A to point B as quick as I can. But I do wish there were more walkable areas in Tampa, that's definitely been the hardest thing to adjust to is that even just to get a drink with friends or grab a cup of coffee in the morning, I've got to get in my car and drive.
1: I think you made a great point, though, because you said, I love being, I'd love a walkable community. I'd love being able to walk around. But when I'm in my car, I have to be in my car and I have to get to that next appointment. I want to get there quickly and without stopping too many times or going on roundabouts, or being impeded in my way.
4: Yeah, I I can't deny that. It's uh, the New York thing again, I guess, needing to go fast. But I do wish, yeah, that there were more places where I just didn't even have to get in my car in the first place right well Mm -hmm. people
1: right Beth Wet people want it all right I mean they want an area that attracts young people um, who we think want uh, walkable and bikeable communities I guess studies have been done on that people seem to like that especially it's kind of getting more and more fashionable. But also when you're zipping down Bayshore, you want to get to your your next appointment. You want to get there on time.
0: Well, it's a, certainly a balancing act, but uh, all the evidence show that people really want to be in walkable environments. They will drive to them and then they will walk in those environments. And they are a boon for business and economic growth and opportunity. All you have to do is look at the city of Dunedin, look at uh, Safety Harbor, look at St. Petersburg in county. what have they done right? They have done so much right because they've, they've built a grid, they've created a walkable space, whether it was historical and it's still intact and they've maintained it, or whether they're working to build out that grid. Uh, they are uh, creating safe space on their roadways. They're working effectively to lower speed limits by adding on-street parking. Uh, Dunedin brought in the Pinellas Trail and built their downtown sort of around that Pinellas Trail. Their main street was once a four-lane road. It is now a two-lane road. Where is
1: that, Dunedin?
0: Dunedin, downtown main street. Mm -hmm. And that was done 25 years ago. But look at the economic growth that has resulted from that. So creating walkable communities is a valuable economic advantage to every community that does it. What we just need to work on is the accessibility to those destinations. And
3: And uh, the
4: culture.
0: And to create that two- to three-mile walk trip, bicycle trip, so that you can get there safely.
4: Well, and that's like, you know, we have these picturesque areas like the Riverwalk or Dunedin, but there, you know, there's people in communities like, say, in the university area or something where maybe it's not as picturesque a walkable destination, but there's families that can't afford a car or there's six people in the household and they can only afford one car, but there's six people who need to get different places. And so, I mean, I can't imagine what life is like for those people who don't have to don't have a car, they're walking to the nearest bus stop or they're getting on their bike and trying to cross Fowler. So I think that's
2: where there's a lot of need as well. There is a link between affordability, even housing affordability, and your transportation choices. Mm -hmm. Um, When we look at um, what can um, households afford to spend, what can people afford to spend in their budget on housing, we're now looking at what the typical household is also spending on transportation. And it's high here because you have to have a car to get just about anywhere, if you were able to get by with one less car in your household, whether it's three down to two or two down to one, then you're saving eight to ten thousand dollars every year. If you were to put that back into a mortgage, you're talking about a house that might be worth one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So uh, there's a there's a real tie here, um, and and I think that we're seeing. More people start to talk about we we need something that's different. It's hard to picture it. I you know I don't know what this is going to look like, but it but it needs to be different. A
1: lot of this is very hard because Stephanie, you brought up New York. The density, <laughs> housing density, population density is such a huge factor in this. I'm thinking of Polk County, and our transportation woes. Um, a, ta- a tax didn't pass a couple years ago that would have given more buses out to the rural areas. I mean, talk about non-walkable. I mean, these are people that live an hour away from maybe where their job could be if they could get there and get a job. And and so it creates a lot of rural poverty and things like this because they don't have. So I think density has a lot to do with this. And I go back again to Salt Lake City, Mm -hmm. which put in light rail and it's been a tremendous success, but they've got Mother Nature working for them. They've got the Wasatch Mountains and the Great Salt Lake and all the population density in just a long line where you can just send light rail up and down. We don't have that here, Christine. We've got a lot of, uh, you know, people are willy-nilly spread out everywhere. I think, what did you call it, peanut butter? Like peanut there's, butter. Just <laughs> like peanut butter. yeah, It's we don't have that easy fix, I don't think.
3: We, we definitely do not have an easy fix, But we have the potential, if we understand the value of density, we can start to affect change. Sprawl is a huge problem. The solutions that we will develop for Pasco County and to connect them to job centers and community assets is not the same thing that we will create in terms of solutions for uh, Brandon or solutions for the urban core of Tampa or St. Petersburg or Clearwater. We need a very robust offering that is a, a myriad of solutions. But sprawl does is a big problem. But I, I would venture to guess that the people in Pasco Coney, uh or some of these further reaching communities, when they get home, like Stephanie said, they don't want to get in their cars. They would love to have perhaps that huge box store plaza that's just a lot of pavement uh, that is on the, on the downside economically. They would love for that to be redeveloped into their version of a main street, of a village, of some community that is improved upon so that they have walkability in their area
2: area? We do have density today that would support bus service, would support much better bus service than we have. Um, and that's true um, not only in the city of Tampa, but in a number of our older suburbs like Brandon, Tenant Country, um, These These are areas where it would be worth investing in better bus service. So like when we look at uh, how many people and jobs in Hillsborough County have access to frequent bus service today? That number is about 16 to 17 percent, so like one sixth of our population and jobs. So is is that a good job access metric? I don't I don't think it's a good number. Yeah. And you look at um, Chattanooga is providing access to as many jobs with their bus system as we are and we have three times as many jobs as Chattanooga, this Mm -hmm. is a place where we can really step up. We're one of the top 20 metro areas in the country and we have not invested in just basic bus service. We should probably have about double the amount of bus service out on the roads that we have today.
1: With this new initiative, this new transportation initiative would that help with that problem? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So
3: a lot of people believe that the in the autonomous vehicle realm that the bus rapid transit is the first uh, element that can work with dedicated space. So we're not talking about buses that have to blend into traffic. We're talking about really sleek buses that look and feel like trams, that have the potential to be an automated vehicle, and that can come with a frequency. Uh, that enables people to um, make it to work on time, even if they miss the bus the first time.
1: Let me ask you guys, um, transit-oriented development. I remember years ago that was like the the catchphrase and planners were getting very excited about it. Has that come to pass at all in Tampa Bay area? Have we had any transit-oriented development or
2: is that... We have OD without the T. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: have development without transit. Yeah,
2: waiting, waiting for the transit. And you know, sometimes this is it th- still something that you're looking
1: for, or are you on to new concepts?
2: Well, I think I think you have to make so many. You have to make so many changes. So there's not a, there's the development pattern. There's a the density that you're talking about, and the and the mix of the uses. You know, can you walk to a store from where you live? That kind mm-hmm. of thing. So there's the land use changes, the transit oriented development. Then there's the roadway infrastructure. Do you feel is it safe for you to go out and walk or bicycle or catch the bus or what have you, be able to get to your destination without a car? And then there's is there the transit service actually available and running that you could catch it, um, if you know if it went to where you're going? And all of those are big changes. All of those are big changes. So lately. Um, Tampa has had the great good fortune to have some changes in the first arena uh, of the land use and development pattern, particularly, you know, in in, in downtown, in the central core um, of Tampa, you see a lot of redevelopment and densification and mixed use. This is a first step. And I think maybe the second step is focusing on the roadway infrastructure and transforming that so that you feel safe walking and bicycling and crossing the street. And if we create that kind of environment, it's gonna be much easier for people to imagine how a transit system could work for them. Mm-hmm.
3: Christine. I was gonna say we do have a, a very good example of um, a another TOD, which is trail-oriented development. So, believe it or not, the Riverwalk is defined as a multi-use trail. And so, it's an, an urban environment. The return on investment Uh, for the urban trail development is often nine to one. So we have a very high return on all the development. If you look along Riverwalk, it has been fantastic. And Dunedin was another good example of that. Where it comes to roadway and, and more traditional transit oriented development, we're gonna have to look at our private sector developers to see what they're doing and how they're reacting. And what we see is developers like Water Street, uh, Mr. Vinnick and his organization, and they are developing the community first and with transit plans included, including water transit.
1: Yeah, Jeff Vinnick, the owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning, so he's a big contributor to this transportation initiative. It seems to be one of his um, interests. I'll just say,
0: I think sometimes you have to have a catalyst investment to make that happen. It's great when you have a deep pocket developer investor who's willing to transform a part of a community, but if you make the investment in a conscious, thoughtful way in your transit infrastructure and site your stations accordingly, you can capture that market value. We're looking at our gateway mid-county area right now where uh, the Department of Transportation is funding an intermodal center feasibility study. Where that will ultimately be located provides a rich opportunity, say, in the Carillon area, to begin to transform an auto-oriented development pattern into a more transit-oriented development pattern because the market for accessibility is always there, and that market is being created by that investment. So the private sector will respond if given the opportunity, and all we're really looking at doing is giving people the choice of do they want to live in a suburban, automobile-oriented, gated community, which is a viable choice for many, many people? Or do we want to give some segment of the population a choice of living in a walkable, transit-oriented area where they can maybe make that trade-off between car ownership and investing in a house or uh, an education or something like that?
2: Right. Sounds good. Um, Before we wrap up, I Mm -hmm. wanted to talk a little bit about the white sneakers that I brought, if that's all right. Okay.
1: So Beth... Alden brought some white sneakers. I just thought because you had a long walk from your car to the through <laughs> the parking lot. <laughs> what was that about?
2: So um, I, I brought these because they're what we wear as part of the walk of silence, which is to acknowledge pedestrians who have been killed during the past year. Mm. We'd love everybody to get involved. The first part of a 12-step process is acknowledging that you have a problem, right? <laughs> and so we're, we're at that stage yes. of having a conversation as a community about we have a problem. Right. So that we can take steps to do better.
1: That is Beth Alden, director of Hillsborough's Metropolitan Planning Organization. And we've also been speaking with Whit Blanton, who's the executive director of Forward Pinellas, that county's transportation planning agency, and Christine Acosta, executive director of Walk Bike Tampa, and Florida Matters producer Stephanie Colombini. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. Listen to Florida Matters on the radio, Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. You can always find it online at WUSFnews.org. I'm Robin Sussingham. Come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More. And subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher.